Yeah, yeah. It's like I'm out at the first 800 meters. I'm flying. I'm thinking, oh my goodness, the adrenaline just got me off to too quick a start. And then all of a sudden, the last lap was a slog. And then as I got older, I learned how to how do I pace myself at the beginning and save something for the end. And that's the same in my communication style as it is in my long distance kind of running now. Welcome to Noah and Adrian Betridge. This is the podcast that looks at communication and presentation and presence and gravitas and all things spoken word. So Adrian Betridge is managing partner at Beringa. He has 25 years of consulting experience and now runs a firm Beringa with 600 people. And you have four children. So I'm longing to know about communication and presence in all its different guises. Welcome. Great. Great to be with you, Noah. Thank you very much. And Brinker's grown a bit since we last chatted. So we're kind of about 850 people now. So we're uh, keep on growing. And so, yeah. And but no more children. Four is definitely enough. Um, so we stop there. Fantastic. Yeah, that's a good balance. 800 people and four children, which is more demanding. Um, well, I'm more successful at work than I am at home, and and I think the uh, the secret to thinking about my home life is I always tell myself it's about the long harvest. Yeah, mm. it's where you're sowing seeds, you're nurturing, and and the harvest is going to come in years to come. So don't expect any returns, any fruit from your labour in the short or medium term. It's the long harvest. Nice. That's what keeps, that's what keeps me going. Nice. Okay. I love a metaphor. We're going to talk about metaphors later. Thank you for that. So let's start with long term, actually. You, you're talking about long term harvest in terms of the kind of when we when I, I use those words at the beginning, like presence and gravitas and impact. What's the for you, the end goal of all of this? What's the kind of the best version, the ultimate the ultimate look and feel of communication for you at the end of all of this? What's the what, what's the holy grail? Yeah, I, I, I guess you feel like you're moving to a point of greater gravitas and wisdom and authenticity to be as mm. real and as simple, but with great wisdom and insight that you're sharing through your communication. Mm. Um, less... Um, speedy runner and, and yeah. more sage-like in your both tone, pace and content of your mm. communication. Mm. Totally relate to that. I'll come back to why in a minute. Now, I'm going to tell you why now because it's on the front of my mind. I did something, I was talking about work being part of a, an online conference yesterday and I was slightly dismayed at the end of the day I was lying on the bed just before my putting my daughter to bed and I watched the recording they'd sent the recording through and I saw this guy who is me working really really hard like energy popping out like mm. and, and I was kind of slightly just so it's when you just said that that ease that's what I also would like to kind of find that ease mm. so that's interesting because I, I associate you with that on a one-to-one -one basis. I think you have great poise 
um, and a great calmness that you bring in your presence in a one-to-one kind of coaching conversation. And maybe there's something there for you that's about groups or the bigger dynamic where it tugs on your need to perform as opposed to just be. Mm. Yeah, yeah. So, so tell me about for your version then, when when if you if you're getting to that sage-like place at the end of the journey, where are you now with it? What are the bits that are working for you, um, um, and where are the bits that you're struggling with? Yeah, I I guess over time I feel like I've become more of a unified individual all versions of myself are merging just into one and that one is turning up at home at work with friends in my community at church on the football pitch when I'm standing at Anfield cheering Liverpool along so so I feel like I've become more integrated rather than having different personas and different tones and voices and thinking I need to please in those different areas of my life they've all started just to merge maybe just out Mm -hmm. of old age uh, or, or wisdom or that those two things mm. come together feeling less needy to be what the audience needs to be me to be mm. but just being me in mm. each of those situations so I feel that's a journey that over 25 years mm. I used to show up different in all those different mm. places now I'm just showing up as me mm-hmm. uh, although so I think the authenticity journey I've been on uh, and the single version of self has been interesting and something that I've enjoyed embracing um, mm. I still the bit I struggle with particularly um, when it comes to you know I'm standing in front of a thousand people giving a speech and or talking at a company meeting and there's there's 700 people in the room is I have a, a low boredom threshold myself um, and therefore I tend to project a low boredom threshold onto my audience or my team and I'm quite pacey um, and I like to move quite quickly and keep people entertained and not for one minute I leave people to just feel like I'll just get my phone out of my pocket and check my email Mm -hmm. because that bloke on the stage is rabbiting on about something I've heard before so um, I, I need to learn to have greater impact and slow it down rather than feel the need to entertain and project at pace all the time. So that's something that I know mm. I'm guilty of and still needing to work on. Mm. So it's almost like you've got a voice in your head going, Adrian, you're probably boring them. So therefore be speedier. Yeah, because I get bored really quickly. Um, and and I don't, I'd hate that to be the assessment after my you know, I, I, we do company meetings and we'll have 700 people in the big auditorium back before COVID. And, you know, and people would tell us, look at the agenda and say, you're never going to get through all that. And I think to myself, yes, I am. There's no there's no problem. We've got three hours. We'll, there's, there's five hours worth of content, but we can be quite pacey and have some fun, make it humorous, um, but move quite quickly through it. Mm. Uh, and it's it does entertain and, and it's factually delivering everything it needs to. But maybe sometimes... You have greater impact when you allow silence into the room mm. and you allow people to just think and and you're more real rather than being the entertainer or the road runner kind of running ahead all the time. Just actually mm. be with them at the same pace uh, mm. and not need to be worrying about boring, boring them uh, or worry about boring yourself. Mm. Mm. 
how do you bring that silence into the room how do you how, how do you consciously start cultivating that um the the times it happens most when i'm presenting and when i'm communicating is when um i bring some or reveal some personal emotional resonance with the topic i'm talking about i might talk about congratulating people who have just had children you know we have a thing we put up you know babies of Paringa and and all these seven eight people just had babies and we have a personal moment and then I might just share something about my baby and mm. when Arthur was born and all of a sudden I can feel some emotion in my chest and I, and I go quiet and my voice crackles and and I mm. feel like you know I just want to wish those there's new parents in the room all the best for the first few months because it's really heart-wrenching time and all of a sudden you can mm. You can feel it because I'm connecting it to a, a lived, personal, emotional mm. time in my life that I'm now almost sharing and walking in their shoes for a second and seeing how that they might feel and then wishing them all the best as they come to terms with being responsible for mm. a, a human being in their life for the first time. And mm. so it's where I, where it, come, it becomes emotional that I find it easier to slow down and to then just really connect to on a more deeper level with the people that I'm communicating with. Mm-hmm. I remember the first time I came to Baringa and that was what struck me. Someone took me to make a cup of coffee in your kitchen and all over the boards were, as you can now call them, Baringa babies. <laughs> they weren't <laughs> branded. <laughs> uh, but I just remember being struck by the, the that it was human, you know, that there is a humanity. So there's some, something you guys are doing well with that can i go back to that point you talked about about integration i love that word of, of, of finding as you're as you're progressing in age you're integrating yourself and that's a really nice way of thinking about it how was it then to tell me tell me how um separated it was in terms of professional persona personal persona liverpool on the terraces persona what what, what how did they how did that work well, I guess it used to be because I'm quite a goal orientated individual I used to set I call them goals for roles um, so my new year's resolutions right how to become a better son to my parents how can I be a better brother to my sister and my brothers how can I be a better husband to my wife how can I be a better consultant for my job how, do I, how can I be a better father to my children so I used to write goals for roles yeah so that rather than just generic goals like you know, be more patient or run a marathon, um, which I had some of those as well. Um, but there were goals for the different roles in my life. And I found that a really good way to help me cover all the bases, because otherwise I could just get sucked into a new year and be thinking, right, I need to progress my career or I need to, or whatever it might be, quite narrow. When I wrote down all the roles I play in life, then it helped me get a balance of life in writing mm. goals for those different roles. Um, and then, the, which was a really positive step for me, this is going back 20 years, mm. uh, uh, but then over time I found myself trying to show up slightly different for my mum versus my brother versus yeah. work versus at church versus at the, on the football terraces versus at home. And then I found like the goals for roles was good, but I, I needed to integrate who that person was in each of those scenarios. And I'll tell you the other thing that really helped me, uh, and this by accident, not by design, was 
I got really, really busy in just about every area of my life. Uh, uh, having three children under five just can make you kind of crazy. Um, you know, becoming a partner in a consulting firm and then a year later resigning to start a new consulting firm. That's kind of crazy entrepreneurial journey. And then a recession hits and you say, oh, my goodness, I need to go sell more work and double down. Otherwise, this business is going to go under or or having responsibility at church as a minister or as a youth leader. It's like, right, I've got, I'm responsible with the youth. And my life just got really, really busy. And in the really busyness, I, I decided that I can't I can't flip flop between the different versions of me. Because I yeah. don't have time. Because you were turning I, up with a bottle of milk to the to the to the partners meeting, and a, yeah, because yeah, you're like one minute I'm I'm in a partners meeting, the next minute I'm in front of a CEO of a bank, and the next minute I'm nursing a two-year-old with chickenpox, and and I, and I don't have time to switch to role switch, uh, and and so it was the pressure of being under pressure and time constrained that I just said, you know what, I'm just going to be me. If they mm. don't like it. Mm. Uh, and then and once I just accepted that, that well, the skills I was learning at work were helping me at home. Mm. Some of the things I was learning at home were helping me at church. Some of the things I was learning at church were helping me in the workplace with my clients. And all of a sudden I started like, actually rather than seeing these as competing tensions or different versions, see how these different experiences meld together just to make you more rounded and able to be good at each of those roles because you're cross-pollinating the learning and the, the mm. personal discovery and the skills building between the different roles. And so I started to accept, one, I couldn't, and then two, embracing that I don't want to be different. Actually, I want to be able to stand in front of a brunt of yeah, yeah. new senior managers at work and talk about you know, what it's like to come for a dad for the first time and share the challenges I was facing at home. And all of a sudden their connection with the firm and with me just went up. And, and so I actually saw the, the bringing together the different me's into one and just being more authentic in each of those environments I was in as a real blessing and as a real advantage over time. Talk to me about goals. It, it, as soon as you were talking about, I, I loved your expression of goals for roles, and and I and I and and it's a huge thing that the different roles we have, and I'm fascinated by that. Uh, can we go back a bit for you? Um, tell me where, where where does the goal setting and the goal driven start from with you? Because clearly you that's part of you. How old were you when you first went? I've got a goal. Oh, uh, that's probably, um, yes, six, seven, eight years old, maybe. Yeah, get into the Cubs football team and not get subbed, <laughs> not not be on the sideline. Um, yeah, uh, I my my dad was kind of my hero. He was, he was a postman, so my dad's a postman, and my mum was the dinner lady at school and mopped the floors in the uh, the primary school I went to and my dad finished work at three uh, as a postman you just done at three is up at four and he's finished at three and he'd pick me up on his bike and I'd sit on his sack uh, his his letter sack on the front of his bike and then we'd cycle around to field and play football for a couple of hours so I had this kind of idyllic uh, we were poor in in worldly sense but I was rich in terms of love and time I had with my dad and so he was a bit of a hero of mine and I just didn't want to make him 
unhappy and so he'd say you know I really want you to do well at school and I go okay yeah I want to do well at school because you do and so I had this kind of natural competitive edge around sport and and with some of my friends and then a, a family environment that just kind of facilitated m- me wanting to be the best version of myself mm-hmm. and uh, and I had a pretty bright and an alert conscience that let me know when I wasn't being the best version of myself mm-hmm. and rather than suppress that and ignore it I learned to listen to it and think you kind of let yourself down today today a little bit in the way you were and it's like I think you can do a bit better than that tomorrow and so that kind of self-improvement DNA was or growth mindset as we'd call it today was kind of in my head from about eight years nine years old and has stayed with me ever since and mm. and to some people that feels like a curse but to me it feels like the <laughs> the root of all my successes I, I think I can be a bit better tomorrow than I was yesterday uh, and so I get up and go to the gym or go for a run or or study a bit harder or put a bit more effort into something and then look for not just hard work but then look for shortcuts and life hacks and work smarter not harder things and so when you start to have that growth mindset you start seeing right I'm not very good at this I need to have someone around me who's really good at it so that then led me into being a good team player and a team builder recognizing what I'm not good at and what mm. I needed help with so yeah it kind of stems from uh, childhood and has stayed with me ever since Where and it can be that means I'm quite annoying to live with uh, and I can be quite annoying to work with so you know because uh, I kind of see it in myself and then I, I project it onto my kids well you did really well son that's great Think you might be able to do a little bit better he's like oh give me a break dad you know <laughs> I, just, I just i just got an a why do you have to push me to get an a star so yeah i have to be really careful with an internal narrative that i've accepted and that that, that is comfortable for me and not to project it onto particularly my kids because uh yeah that's caused some tension in the past i've learned that lesson the hard way now mm. so i loved i loved the description of your dad picking you up and putting you on the bicycle and going out and playing football. And I'm, I'm, I'm curious about that, the relentlessness where that, if that was, if you kind of received that as a, as a message from him of go out my son and, and, and do it. Or if that was just, it's almost sounds like with you, it was kind of just in your DNA. It was there. Yeah. It's kind of a, my, my parents worked hard really hard I mean you know and would say things like my mum would you know say oh it's either shoes this month or food uh and stuff like that right so so I knew that they were working there where where were you growing up um just outside Watford so that's kind of where I was born in Watford General Hospital we lived just around there um and we weren't like destitute by any stretch of the imagination we were in a council house and um that we eventually bought off the council over time and just didn't have many luxury items at all. So it was, uh, you know, holidays were a, a, a tent uh, somewhere in a, in a camping site near a beach somewhere. And, and that was our sort of holiday stuff. But I didn't know any of this. It's only on reflection. I got to about 12, 13 and 
uh, I was in secondary school and most, most of my friends were just a lot more well off than we were as a family. And I'd go to their house and I'd be like, oh my goodness, they got a tennis court in the garden. This is nuts. How on earth do you have? So I'd learn to hang out with my friends and look at their parents and what jobs they do. And they were like the CFO at BP or they were the HR director at Marks and Spencers. And my dad's a postman and my mum, you know, washes the floors after school. And I'm like, yeah, okay. So yeah, career is going to be quite interesting because that links to money. And then I got sick and I had to stay off school and they couldn't leave me at home. So I went and sat in the post office with my dad for a day. And so I sat and watched him sort letters for like four hours of sorting letters and watched, looked at the environment and the culture and the people. And I kind of sat there and said, I'm not going to be a postman. <laughs> and I just made that decision. It's like, right, right. And then I found that my, my friend's dad, we had a careers thing and he came and spoke at school and he was a lawyer. And I worked out that lawyers were earned like 30 grand when they started work, which is more than my dad earned after 25 years in his job sort of thing. So I was like, right, so careers really are important and so I thought oh, I'll I need to do well at school and so I decided to you know stay on and do A levels which my mum and dad were like oh okay yeah you can do that if you want or you could just get a job you know and I, was like, oh, I think I'll stay and get A levels uh, and then when I went to university I remember my mum saying to me she said you can't avoid work forever you know and it's like, so I was the first person in my family to go to university and and I kind of saw education and and that kind of opportunity to make sure that I could provide for my family in the future in a way that perhaps my parents hadn't been able to do for us. They'd got so much right for us as kids. Um, but I wanted to make sure that, um, you know, I didn't have to have that, you know, is it shoes or food? It was like, yeah, I'm going to go out there and make sure I earn money. And so mm -hmm. earning a, a good wage for myself and my future family that didn't exist at the time kind of was sewed in my heart and head when I was about 13, 14 years old. So yeah, I was quite driven in that regard yeah. uh, because of the circumstances of which I'd grown up in. I, I I really appreciate everything you're saying there of the what's given just by circumstance by the by life and and how we don't realize that at the time but but I mean I'm looking back now at the age I'm at only now kind of and, and it's interesting having kids having kids and saying we you know you want to give them the best you can give them but actually the the circumstances that you had to strive for when you were so young has given you so much now and that that how you how you weigh that um balance of of self motivation because of circumstance yeah and um in my la latter learning is that drive doesn't go away yeah? it just stays inside me and I can't turn it off because it was it's there from being a child, right? So I learned how to control it and to kind of turn it down a little bit. But it it doesn't exist because of that drive helped me be reasonably successful in my career and, and be able to provide for my family. It means that my children haven't experienced what I experienced. Mm. So I look at them and think, oh, you, you know, we've had my, four, my oldest son's 20 years old and he's probably been to 20 countries in his life by the time he's 20 you know and i i, I left the, the uk for the first time when i was 17 mm -hmm. first time i left the country sort of thing and on, on a school trip um so 
yeah, he's experienced more of the world and more you know, had iPhones and iPads as teenagers exactly. as you do in this day and age. And, uh, and I think, have, have I spoiled my children in my drive to be successful? Have I uh, accidentally spoiled my children and robbed them of the same drive that's helped me be who I am? But mm. then you just can't, you know, you, you, how do you win? No, I'm sure you haven't. I'm sure you haven't. And what else can you do but give them the love that you have in, in you know, in the circumstance you're in? I was reflecting on what you were saying about drive with, the point you began earlier about about giving a lot in in communication, giving a lot and in in presentation, mm. and thinking is there a is there a is is that is that part of what feeds it that the the, the drive you have is also the drive that says let's get through the five hour agenda in three hours. Yeah, I think that might be just. Uh personality style thing in there as well so you know I'm, I'm a shaper I like the vision and direction and I'm a glass half full person so I don't want to talk about all the risks and all the things that could go wrong forever because if you spend too much time staring at the curb you're going to hit it so you know why don't we focus on the mountain we want to climb describe the top of it how exciting it will be to plant a flag in that mountain uh, and give everyone the same vision of where we're going and how we're going to get there and as a team we can do anything together so i'm full of that positive team spirit and energy about right. where we're heading towards and i'm not interested in talking about all the things that could go wrong mm -hmm. And and yeah. that's not necessarily a good thing. It's just a personal preference of can, being can, full can, of can I, hope. Uh, so I, I I already can feel myself going. Yes, I can see that flag, and and I and I and I love the expression again of if you stare at the curb, you're going to hit that rather than than looking at the horizon. So, uh, um, that, that said, I have got a question which is about I don't know if this is hitting curbs or hitting brick walls of of where in communication have you ever what's been what have you ever had a real like oh no that has not worked what's what's the thing you've it has there ever been a time when you've gone fail oh, and yes. then as a result hopefully sure. learn but, yeah sure yeah. i remember um with one client example a classic where um you know, when you're presenting to a, like a steering committee inside a bank and you um, want to do your homework, who's going to be in the room? What's their perspective? Are they bought into what we're trying to do? Uh, and doing my homework with one member of that steering committee and having such a strong connection with that individual um, being not thorough enough in my homework about the rest of the attendees. And I turned up in this steering committee and we were presenting and 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 I started with the conclusion of I think this is not well set up I don't think we're going to achieve our goals this 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 program is almost set up to fail so we really need to hit the pause button we need to work together to replan and uh, and put the right team on the right goals if we're going to hit the, the your your vision for where this is going and I hadn't done my homework with everyone in the room and one of the very very senior people in the room said stop for a second said, who are you uh, and I kind of paused and thought, oh, yeah, I, ha I haven't met this person. And then, yeah. and then all of a sudden, they went, Look, excuse me, sir, but this is my program. So you can just leave. 
<laughs> and I was like the senior person from our team in the room and my team looked at me and I looked to them and she's this lady was like I don't appreciate you coming in here I've never spoken to you rubbishing my program what we're up to and I was overconfident overzealous mm-hmm. you know, road runner running ahead with my opinion without mm-hmm. actually doing the homework to listen to everybody's point of view in the room and I landed my message in an really poor way in front of someone very senior who kicked me out of the room wow that's quite something yeah <laughs> it, it is it was Did... embarrassing personally and for my team uh, and i've i've never recovered with that individual even though i've made mm. some obviously attempts to kind of um, repair the damage that i did in that meeting but um yeah my team have a good relationship with that individual and it's one where i i learned the hard way that um, Mm. just because you think something's right and true and is going to resonate and is is the answer uh, that doesn't mean you can just come out and say it if you haven't done your homework Mm. Mm. yeah it's a good story do you get nervous adrian or 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 stress how does it how does that play out particularly thinking of, of kind of communication and presentation areas how does that manifest or what happens? Yeah, I get nervous. Um, that kind of butterflies, adrenaline, um, you know, need to go for a wee for the second time before I go on stage kind of thing. So I get that kind of nervous. And as long as it stays at a certain threshold, it, I feel it's like a, a channeling of energy and is helpful. Um, and, and so I'd say that's, I, I managed to channel that to be part of my energy that I bring to the room or to the content of the presentation. And so nine times out of 10, I say it's helpful. Sometimes it can mean I rush the beginning parts of things so I can dive in and sprint out of the blocks. Uh, and everyone's like, whoa, 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 hey, calm down. I'm a bit like that meeting where I, I fluffed my audience uh, i can do that not by being too um calling the punches too early but just by rushing and so i need to be really careful that the adrenaline doesn't just like in a running race i'm a runner right so that when when i train i i'm i'm doing certain pace per miles and and i know exactly what's going on so when you're when you're in a race I'm like a, you know, when I was at school, I was like a 1500 meter runner. This is great. I'm winning. Yeah. Yeah. It's like I'm out at the first 800 meters. I'm flying. I'm thinking, oh my goodness, the adrenaline just got me off to too quick a start. And then all of a sudden the last lap was a slog. And then as I got older, I learned how to, how do I pace myself at the beginning and save something for the end? And that's the same in my communication style as it is in my long distance kind of running now. I, I need to be careful not to be too quick out of the blocks with mm. that adrenaline and that nervous energy. I'm mm. so ready to get started that I'm jabbering. Mm. Yeah. Like I'm doing yeah. now, now. Yeah. No, 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 no. Uh, <laughs> uh, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm appreciating the pace. Okay. Can we move into the, the, the medium we're in here now? So we're speaking we had to start this call again because we were all out of sync in the last one. And that's now just a part of our way of communicating these us uh, with our little heads and our headphones. What, what's been your experience of this as a mode of communication? Where, what are the best bits for you? And the flip side is what's the, what are you 
what what's the worst experiences you've had yeah i i the best bits i i think there's some real insight you gain from peering into somebody else's home and the contextualizing of their life around the conversation that you're having and I love it when someone's kids come into the room to get to the printer, excuse me, and, and they just walk across the back of the camera and, they, and then, or you hear the printer start churning or the doorbell goes, oh, do you mind if I just let the Amazon delivery package in? And yeah. so, so some of this kind of insight into life behind the work person is nice uh, and quite brings an authenticity to the conversation and can be really senior people. And you can notice things. I mean, mm. I used to say to our teams, when you're going into a, a client's office, what do you notice in their office? Are there pictures of their kids on the table? Is there a, a rugby shirt hanging on the wall? What clues are you getting about the person so you can build greater rapport with them? But now we're in their living room, we're in their bedroom, we're, 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 we're in their office yeah. at home. There are little clues of things that help you just try and understand your audience in a way that probably wasn't possible before. And I think mm. that's the highlight and that's yeah. probably the best bit of zoom and teams and all the different uh digital mm. video comms that are, that are happening mm. now i guess the challenge is being 3d with someone uh, is so different to being on a flat screen two-dimensional with an individual the, the the clues and cues uh are richer in person um and you can become a little bit more transactional in a 2d environment so, oh, the meeting started. Let's start. Whereas then you walk into a meeting room with, you know, you've got 20 people. You just mill around and chat mm. uh, and you kind of go and get a coffee together. You walk to the coffee machine. Yeah, how's mm. your week? And how's your wife? How's this go? And some of the chit chat and the milling around and the getting to know around the person isn't happening in mm. the vocal communication on these yeah. teams. We're on. Yeah. Oh, I need to finish this one now because I've got another one starting. Yeah. Uh, and, and so we've become more efficient by getting more done in a day, mm. but, but less emotionally engaged uh, and having the niceties around the interaction being on a yeah. flat screen. And so back to back in these Zoom teams course. Yeah. Yeah. And also, oh, I just yeah. I will say that um, I used to get like a runner's high in pitches and presentations and and I used to love the adrenaline build up and I love the event and then afterwards you kind of come off the boil uh, uh, there's something similar but different happening on teams which is the sense of exhaustion to my eyes and my head mm -hmm. is greater than the exhaustion I used to feel with some, a whole body experience mm -hmm. after a communication event uh, in person now it's my eyes and my head are strained and I get more headaches and I've had to wear glasses. Mm -hmm. uh, 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 I've been accelerated my need for glasses in mm -hmm. the last 12 months because of so much of it's been on screen. And that bit's physically taking its toll in a very different way to the physical toll you expend when you're in person. Yeah, it's a very good point. I wonder if there will be some strange phenomenon of because everything has moved into exactly as you say, the neck up. That's it. That's all we've got to work on. That's all we've got to express with. Um, I was telling you about watching that cringy thing of me yesterday trying too hard. And that's what I noticed in my face. I was like, the facial expressions I was pulling were like out of 
I mean, they were like crazy. And I, was, but, and I think it's just that that was the only way I could show to people how I was thinking and feeling um, and, and overcompensating them. I, my, my my worst experience, just to add to this, it's not worse, but 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 was a kind of good example of how crazy it's got. Is I was running a course very recently, and people in different locations, and one of the people on the course, there's only six of us on the call, had to dial in, and they were dialing in. They had to be in a face mask. So not only are you mm. dealing with wow. six different things, but someone's on a face mask, and you're like it's really really hard to know what's going on here on and and with there was also sort of language stuff built into that so i'm like yeah this is this is a new level yeah oh my goodness doing it on zooms or team with a face mask on yeah i can't imagine <laughs> who are your influencers adrian who are people that you look at and you go that's what you take um Oh, and they may they remember people we have to know i mean these could be people teachers either way and, and equally teachers that have said i don't i don't want to be like that but who are people that have affected <laughs> you in terms of um communication that you think stand out to you yeah i won't mention the name of the first one which is a negative influence one of the most senior people i got to work quite closely with in my previous organization um, I worked really closely with this guy and I I really noticed the lack of authenticity um, and the duplicity in tone, style. Someone would come into his office and I'd be there working on something and they'd come in and he'd turn on this kind of like persona of niceness and then they'd leave the office and he'd slag them off uh, and, and be like rude about them. And, and I experienced this over a period of about two years and I just thought, oh, yeah, I just... Yeah, be the same person uh, to their mm. face. And, Lovely. And so that that was a real don't be like that kind of moment and and actually helped me resign uh, from that organization and, and start my own uh, FS practice. Um, you know, I, I, my wife would kill me for uh, saying this because I took her to a, a, a Tony Robbins event. So the, the guru of... Uh, self-help kind of guy in um, the O2 arena and she absolutely hated every second of it <laughs> and, and, and was like get me out of here why have you brought me to this crazy American self-help guru thing and, and secretly I loved it it was Brilliant. like theater. you standing on the chair whooping yeah I, I, I was letting myself get into this <laughs> my fully blown American version of myself and uh <laughs> Uh, and there was something about that that I, I actually really learned a lot. I, I, I didn't, mm. you know, I wasn't all in on everything you're saying, but I, I just found it, what a, how much energy he was bringing to well, that's everything what I was going to say. The, the, in, the insight, the pace, uh, the precision of his question to someone in the, in the room and on a sixpence, get into their heart and into their head in a way that, was coaching them live in front of 2,000 people and they'd start crying. And mm. I was just like, oh, my goodness. The, mm -hmm. can't you, even if you don't want to participate fully, can you not respect the, mm. the event and the way in which he's – and she's like, can I go home now, please? Can you know, I am out. So, so she went home and I stayed for the last bit. But there was something in there that I, mm. I learned a lot from him and I've been fascinated by him 
um, for different reasons, just in terms of his art mm. uh, and the skill with which he does what he mm. does. Um, and also, I mean, I, 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 I've never seen him in person, but also just his his actual power. And part of that is his physical stature, just to hear the voice that comes out of that guy. Well, if you take his kind of some of his books and tapes and in the old days, tapes, you know, cassette players with his stuff on it. And uh, I, I learned a lot from that. Um, and it led me on to actually wanting to go and become a coach. Uh, I think that inside of me, there's like, I actually, I want to be able to have a conversation with someone and help them discover that they have the answer inside them. Uh, and that they don't need loads of other people to help. That actually, you have are you are whole, you are complete. Uh, and so I went and did my two years ago. I went and did my executive diploma in coaching, and uh, to learn how to be a professional coach. And so, um, but yeah, but there was a lot of uh, humour uh, and learning. We even did the walking the hot coals. So you, you, you know, uh, shoes off, socks off, and walk over the hot coals. It was at that point my wife was like, oh, you are not Having serious. a glass of wine. <laughs> so, yeah, so I, mean, so I, went, I was all in, and, and it was a fun experience, but I learned a lot from him. And, um, mm, yeah, okay. I, I, I had a lot of respect for his art and the way in which he mm. uh, discharged what he had said he was going to do with everybody, with every ounce of his being. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, I only have two more questions for you. Although some more may develop along the way, but let, let's let's uh, I'll ask you my penultimate one, which is, what are your routines? I like the word rituals because I'm quite into rituals. But what are your routines that you do in order to get you ready for any kind of pitch meeting that matters presentation? Yeah, great question. I, I think there's a couple of things that I always do. So quite a long way out, I try to visualize what it is that I want people to feel, experience, walk away with from that event in a month's time or whatever it is. Then I flip to the analytical, right, let's get the content, the storyboard and the structure uh, and then and the other people are helping me pull that together and we're we're crafting the slides or the script or whatever it might be. And then that goes on for a, a big chunk of time. Uh, and then right towards the end, I kind of shrink all of that preparation down to just several key messages. Like it could be, I don't know, there might be a hundred slides and in my head, I've got it down to seven points in my head. And then I have to just, uh, free myself of all of the prep in the day before uh, so I can't do um all the, all the hours before I need to be completely free um walk around a park just breathe in the air think about other things I might just ring my dad or I might ring someone that's nothing to do with the event so I have to to eject all the preparation mm-hmm. so I can turn up fully present mm-hmm. otherwise the the preparation gets in the way of the performance and in way of the communication. So mm. there's a big visualization thing. There's an analytical preparation thing. Then there's a get my physiological self mm. uh, ready to be in flow state, not hindered by my preparation. Mm. Mm. And that just means walking, talking, to getting in flow. Yeah. Yeah. And maybe even having a nap. You mm. know, uh, I, I saw this great, um, uh presenter and i invited him to come and present something to the company and we did all the preparation stuff 
And then like an hour before, he, I said, are you all set? And he said, set. he said, do you mind if I just go over there and just have a little sleep? Uh, and he went and lie down under the chairs in this conference centre, slept for like 20 minutes as a nap. And then when he woke up, he was free and in flow and was able to just be himself in that mm. moment. So, mm. yeah. That's a really good description. Really nice process and makes sense. Thank you. OK, so my final question is what's next? And I suppose, I mean, in terms of this journey, you talked about at the beginning going, getting into this place of being more integrated and the word I came across recently was vital. Mm. What's next for you? Um, well, there's a coaching element of helping other people hone their craft, be more authentic, show up as themselves, um, give them platforms to present uh, and using what I've learned to coach others to do more of it and give them little opportunities and and a feedback loop so that they can excel so i've got a quite a big leadership development you know, succession planning leaders of leaders thing going on in my head around helping other people learn some of the things that i've learned and take some shortcuts don't go the long way that i went uh, and giving them some opportunities to do that so that's, that's one thing that's that's weighing on my mind as a both a responsibility and an opportunity to coach other people in this mm. art of being themselves and communicating well. And then mm. for my own personal communication, I'm, I'm desperate to um, get back physically with people. Um, you know, as a company, we used to meet five, six times a year as a whole company. Uh, and in the last year, we haven't done that at all. They've all been Zoom or Teams meetings. So I have a real longing to be in a room with people, mm. both the partner team and the full company team. Um, so that's that's a real like, mm. urge that I have to, you know, reacquaint myself with the physical world and, and be in those moments. Then in terms of taking it to the next level, I've been taking my presentation and communication skills and turn them into writing skills. So I've been writing mm -hmm. to the company every Monday morning. So sending out a Monday morning mm -hmm. musings uh, and using a different uh, forum to um, communicate with, hopefully inspire and lift uh, the mood of the 850 people in the business. And so I've been, well, I've been lacking in the physical uh, realm. I've started honing my writing skills. So who knows, yeah. maybe a, sort of a blog series or maybe a book or something in the future might be in in the offing to help me take this to the next level through a different medium so adrian you've been really really motivational to and and generous with your self your time your um your wisdom so the sage is sitting on the rock at the end of the at the end of the journey and I'm, I'm i'm really really grateful for sharing all that yeah it feels like we've got to base camp yeah, yeah. <laughs> but yeah lots yeah. of climbing still to be done yeah. but uh, yeah. yeah it's been fun it's been nice to just to reflect and you know it's not a type of conversation that you have very often is it so uh, mm. it's been nice to ask questions to almost 
see where you as a self-assessment where you are this is actually mm. quite another oh yeah okay that that's does right. work uh, so this has been interesting and useful for me as well and i hope it's useful to your listeners so thanks yeah, Noah, and thanks don thank you so much absolutely fascinating <laughs>